This is the Kingdom Movement Podcast, a place where we will explore through conversation how discipleship, theology, and community really can transform our world. Hey, Kingdom Movement fam, this is uh, Jacob Johnson, and I have a special guest again with me here today. Um, also, Paulo is not with me because I'm still in the States taking advantage of getting to have some amazing conversations with some people this side of the pond. Um, but today, I have a special guest, Joseph Lear, with me. He's a good good friend, brother in the Lord, um, highly educated, <laughs> and uh, he's going to be sharing his heart about... Uh, and passion and knowledge about water baptism this week. Um, and, you know, some things that happened during this break, this winter break or summer break, and uh, really has stirred in my heart to, to push water baptism in our kingdom movement family. And uh, so I asked Joseph, and he was kind enough to come on here. But before I keep rattling on, I'm going to let Joseph introduce himself and share just some key things about him. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, Jacob, you're uh, you're a missionary on the African continent, the blessed continent, as I like to call it. And uh, I grew up in Africa myself. Uh, my parents were missionaries uh, like you were, like you are, sorry, excuse me. Uh, but I was uh, pretty, pretty long ways away from where you, you, uh, you do your work. I was in Burkina Faso, Mali, and Ivory Coast, all the way in Western Africa. So I spent most of my uh, childhood there. I speak French because of that. It was uh, Burkina Faso, Mali, and Ivory Coast were all French colonies. I also speak a little bit of the African language there. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I, I used to run the streets of the Sahel uh, with my neighborhood friends and we'd, uh, we'd hunt, we'd forage, we'd get into all sorts of trouble. And we always, always ended the day playing football. Um, nice. And uh, that, was, uh, that was a good time. So I, I cherish those memories of the blessed continent. Um, yeah, so uh, after I finished high school, I was uh, came back to the United States where um, I went to Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, which is one of the flagship, uh, was one of the flagship universities of the Assemblies of God here. Um, now it's part of Evangel University. So I transferred to Evangel later on. And Evangel is actually now where I teach as, uh, as a full-time theology and church ministries professor. And, uh, but a little bit about my, my story, uh, I... Um, was involved in ministry throughout my entire uh, uh, college career, um, did an undergraduate in biblical studies, and then I ended up going to uh, a university called Yale University uh, here in the United States. That, uh, that's where I did my, my divinity degree in theology and Christian ethics. After that, I moved to Scotland for three years where I did a PhD in New Testament and early Christianity. So I can read the New Testament in Greek and a few other things. Um, uh, like I said, I've, I've, I've been in ministry, uh, my whole, my whole life, you know, I helped my parents with ministry in Burkina Faso, um, uh, taught Sunday school kids, youth, young adults. I've preached, I've been part of music teams, uh, et cetera, et cetera, at every level of the church. Even when we were in Scotland, I, I helped out at a, at a local Pentecostal church there and, uh, it's been a blessing. 
Um, after, after I finished my PhD, I moved to Iowa, um, where we both currently are. Um, Not the blessed the continent, snow. the blessed and state, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. It is the it is the greatest state in the union, I like to say. It's a beautiful place, and I hope everybody gets to visit Iowa once in their life. Um, yeah, so I, I took uh, – I, I became the pastor of a church in Iowa City um, in 2016, and, and the church was about to die. Um, the, the doors were about to close. It had been without a pastor for a while, uh, but God – did a work and, and the church is now healthy and growing and uh, i've written a book about it and uh you've actually read a manuscript an early manuscript yeah. of the book and i really appreciate that still i'm indebted to you for that uh but yeah it's getting published this year and uh awesome. part of that is talking about uh the role baptism played in god raising us up from near death to um flourishing life in this particular mm. church and so I give glory to God. It was only earlier this year that I took on. So I'm no longer uh, the lead pastor at that church. I'm no longer the senior pastor. Um, uh, I am a part-time at the church. Um, Abby Anderson, who is a longtime uh, friend of both of ours, she is now the lead pastor of the church, and I serve under her. And I do that while I teach full-time at Evangel University uh, Theology and Church Ministries. So that's my story in brief. I have a beautiful wife. Her name's Holly. She's a nurse and she directs a nursing home. And I have three boys, Lazarus, Barnabas, and Moses. They're eight years old, uh, four years old, and three years old. So uh, a lot of busyness, uh, yeah. but we give glory to God. Amen. No, man, I really, really appreciate you taking the time because obviously, as you share, um, it's evident that you have a busy life. So for you to take time to, <laughs> to bless our students, uh, I really, really, really appreciate that. So I did send you a few uh, questions ahead of time. Um, so we yeah. can just go ahead and dive into those if you want to. Um, so the first one is going to be, what was Jesus in the New Testament church's understanding of water baptism, right? So I think before any opinions are shared, um, before any perspective on the modern day, I think it is important for us to understand what was jesus talking about what was john the baptist talking about what did his early disciples believe the importance of water baptism was right yeah yeah well i mean this is a really important question a great question to lead off with and i think the first thing to say is uh that that at the very least the early church following in jesus's wake did not know of an unbaptized christian Mm. Um, you were either a baptized Christian or you were, uh, uh, an about to be baptized Christian. <laughs> um, if you look at the book of Acts, every single time someone becomes a Christian in the book of Acts, um, in every single chapter, you can go read it yourself and track it. Every single time someone becomes a Christian, they get water baptized very quickly afterwards. Um, and uh, Luke is careful, the author of Acts is really careful to note that, and I think that we should take that very seriously. So just like take it, take, take an afternoon, if you can, and just read the book of Acts and know how important water baptism is throughout mm -hmm. all that, beginning with the day of Pentecost, right? That the Holy Spirit is poured out on uh, those who were in the upper room. They had tongues of fire. They were speaking in other languages. And the first thing Peter, Peter says, the crowd says, what should we do now? You've told us that Jesus came back from the dead. What should we do? And the first thing he says, repent and be baptized. 
Um, so uh, the contemporary church should be doing the same thing. So what was Jesus's perspective on baptism? Well, I think Jesus's perspective on baptism is the most important one because yeah. uh, he's 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 the first one to experience Christian baptism. Um, John hmm. the Baptist was already baptizing people. It was a baptism of repentance, but it was something different, right? Because he said, there is one coming after me who is greater than I am, who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And uh, when Jesus gets baptized, the heavens open up and God the Father speaks. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes down on him in the form of a dove. And that Holy Spirit is the one who is the, the fire um, that Jesus uh, baptizes with. So I think Jesus' perspective on baptism is precisely that, is what happened to him. Hmm. The heavens opened up. And the Holy Spirit came down on him, and God spoke. And in God the Father speaking to his only beloved son, uh, he invited the beloved son to respond to him in the great divine conversation that God is. Um, and this is something I tell my church all the time. I say, you want to know what's happening in your baptism? Look at what happened for Jesus, hmm. because we're baptized in him and with him and through him. So whenever we baptize someone here, my church's name is called Resurrection Assembly of God. And I say, every time someone gets baptized here, we may not be able to see it with the naked eye. We may not be able to hear it with our ears, but it's happening nonetheless. And we can learn to see it and hear it. That every time someone gets baptized, the heavens are opening. God, the father is speaking. And he's saying, this is my beloved child, whether it's a boy or a girl getting baptized. This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit is coming down on the person as they're getting baptized. That's powerful. So I think that was probably Jesus's, uh, uh, yeah, Jesus's perspective on it. That's great, man. I, I have a question for you, and this is maybe a line that I've just only recently connected. So... Yes, the early church, as far as like we can tell within scripture, baptism was the moment really when people were saying yes to I'm all in on this, right? I am a follower of Christ. There's no turning back. Um, but yeah. I wonder, that doesn't seem to be necessarily, I, I think every church that is a Bible-believing church would say that water baptism is something every believer should do. Like, I, I don't doubt that. Um but it isn't necessarily pushed as the decision moment, if that makes sense. Um, and so I wonder if, yeah. and this is where I, I want your perspective, kind of what's becoming, at least in Pentecostal circles, that's all I can really speak on, um, is it's kind of a, yeah. if you want to give your life to Jesus, you know, sometimes you come to the altar, sometimes you raise your hand, um, sometimes you repeat a prayer after the pastor who's up on stage. But I'm wondering, has that moment... Mm -hmm in a way, become the modern liturgy of baptism for our Pentecostal churches? Would you say it's something equivalent uh, in the sense of what it's trying to accomplish? Do you get what I'm saying? I'm not saying insignificance, but do you think that that's kind of what we've offloaded what water baptism's original role to? Yeah, uh, to, to a large degree. I mean, this gets back to what I was saying about the Book of Acts, right? That it doesn't. Yeah. The Book of Acts doesn't know of of an unbaptized Christian. Everyone was either yeah. a baptized Christian or someone who is about to become a baptized Christian. And uh, and in in our contemporary, at least in our American uh, Pentecostal movement, what to some degree in African Pentecostal movement that I have seen as well. That baptism is kind of seen as like this secondary thing that happens sometime down the road, especially for children, 
where they we invite them to make a decision and then some you know maybe years later we say now you can get baptized mm-hmm. you know at my church i encourage as soon as a kid starts praying i start talking to them about baptism um and we instruct all of our all of our sunday school teachers and children's church workers to do the same um there's no reason to stop children from coming to jesus i mean jesus said let the little children come to me right yeah and so we yeah. encourage every child um, from the youngest of age, if they can pray, if they can talk to God, if they can confess their sins and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins, why can't they be baptized? Mm. Um, that's that's my perspective on it. And uh, and I do think that we need to get back to this understanding that becoming a Christian is n- never uh, just a single moment, right? Mm. Even even in Pentecostal movements, you always hear people talk about, well, the Holy Spirit was already working in my life for years before I knew it, when, uh, before I became a Christian. So we already have this understanding: you don't become a Christian in a moment. Yeah. But like when someone says, "I, you know, I want to uh, confess my sins and become a Christian," well, uh, it shouldn't end there. We yeah. need to say, "Okay, let's pray," but there's there's more to becoming a Christian. And uh, the way, you know, one of the ways I've explained this to people is that, uh, you know, it's kind of like getting married, you know, Mm. Uh, that, uh, you know, when you married your wife, uh, Jacob, uh, you weren't married until you said your vows, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you were engaged before. Yeah. And when you were engaged, if you had like died in a car accident or something like that. She would have mourned you as if you were her husband, right? Yes. <laughs> Even though you hadn't technically been married yet. And you were already like uh, making plans, bringing your finances together, deciding if every decision you were making was as if you were already married because that's you have to make plans, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and but, but no one was going to let you cohabitate until you were actually married. And Actually married means that you stood in front of everybody and you made your vows hmm. publicly. And you that way we could all hold you accountable uh, for those vows. And and I think that baptism is something very similar to that, right? That's like, let's not pretend as if like people aren't living their lives as Christians and experiencing the grace of God and all this kind of stuff. But let's also not say that that they have been fully initiated into the Christian faith until they have been baptized. Hmm. Let's call no, them Christians, yeah. but but let's call them unbaptized Christians. Let's call mm-hmm. them pre-baptized Christians or, you know, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, so that we're always making this reference point to water baptism because Jesus, he didn't start doing his public ministry until he was baptized. Mm. And in the book of Acts, again, every time someone becomes a Christian, before they go out and start talking about how they're a Christian and witnessing to other people, they get baptized. Mm. No, that's a, so. that's a great illustration too, man. I've never, I've never heard it, heard it, put it quite that way. And I'm learning on the pod, bro. I love it. That's good stuff. Um, yeah. So I, you know, if you feel like you've touched this adequately, we don't need to, to beat a dead horse, but I know question number two I gave you was why was water baptism important in the new Testament? I think you have talked about that a little bit. And so I don't know if there's any final thoughts you want to give to that, or we can just move on. Yeah. Uh, well, I, th- there's two other things that, that I think I would add to that. And that is, is that like, Water baptism is not just about you becoming a Christian. It's also about you becoming part of the people of God. Mm-hmm. And like when you're baptized, you then look at other baptized people and you say, 
we're all brothers and sisters here. You know, in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse uh, 27 and 28, um, the, the verse where Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female in Christ. You know what he says? He says, as many as have been baptized. Hmm. He doesn't say as many as have called upon the name of the Lord, though that is true. He doesn't say as many of you as are Christians. He says as many of you as have been baptized. In other words, when Paul is pastoring the church in Galatia, he doesn't just say, hey, listen, you're all Christians here. You're all brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, no, your baptism is what makes you a family in Christ. And I think we need to take that seriously. And this comes up, you know, like in 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul talks about uh, the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And he says that was this that was their baptism. Go read it. Hmm. I'm talking to your students here, not necessarily, yeah. but you can go read it too. <laughs> uh, uh, Paul says that it's your baptism. And first, and and then in First Peter three, uh, Peter talks about uh, Noah's flood being a baptism, the baptism of of that family. They passed through the waters and they were saved hmm. on the other side. And then he says, I actually pulled it up here. He says. He says about the Noah's flood, he says, baptism, this is 1 Peter 3, verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. So he's saying, when you get baptized, you're on the ark with Noah, hmm. and you're passing through the waters. And Paul is saying, when you get baptized, you're walking through the Red Sea with God's people. Um and so uh, that's why baptism was so important to the early church, because they, they saw this as the, the fulfillment of the Old Testament's examples of the people of God being saved and being called God's people on the other side. Mm. No, that's great. And really, it brings up a whole nother topic for a whole nother podcast episode of how the New Testament really is a continuation of the story, not just a separate story, which... I love all those threads, man. That's that's great stuff. So with that in mind, you know, obviously we see the value and the importance to the New Testament church in the New Testament of why water baptism was so significant. But why should water baptism be important now, right? Why should me as a 21st century, um, you know, person living in Botswana or a student on the university campus, why, why does water baptism need to be important to me today right yeah uh i mean for all the things that i've already said obviously <laughs> amen <laughs> um yeah um but you know it's it's one of those things right that i don't want you know for example uh muslims to take water baptism more seriously than christians do mm. you know uh even even in a in a Muslim family in many parts of the world, you can start calling yourself a Christian, and your family might be a little upset with you. But when you get baptized, that's when they'll disown you. Wow. So even they recognize, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, and I, uh, I want, um. I want I want us to take it as seriously as that and even more seriously than that. The other thing that I think is important, right, is that um, one of the things I think it means to just be human, you know, the thing that that differentiates us 
from animals, from monkeys or whatever, right? Because we're all mammals in the end. But there's something unique about humans because we're made in the image of God. And, mm. you know, what does that mean? It means all sorts of wonderful things. But one of the wonderful things that it means is that we are the creatures that God talks to directly. Hmm. And, uh, and, that, and that when he talks to us, he invites us to respond. And that's what prayer is. We're responding to God's, God starts a conversation with us. And then we respond in, in, in prayer and we talk to him. And baptism is this moment where God speaks to us for everyone to hear. And he says the most wonderful, most profound, most heartwarming, most uh, incredible thing that we're his child with whom he is well pleased hmm. that, uh, that, that in Christ, our sins are as far from us as the, as the East is from the West. And, you know, uh, I did college ministry, uh, like you were doing and, uh, you know, college students used to always ask me, how do I know, how do I learn to hear the voice of God? And one of the things I would say, depending on the situation is, well, relax you're already part of the conversation. Hmm. And the reason I know you're already part of the conversation is because you're baptized and, um, and, and God spoke to you in your baptism. You may not have heard it with like your eardrums, but God spoke to you nonetheless. And he said to you, you're my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. So you're already part of the conversation. God is inviting you back in Christ to respond to him. And the Holy Spirit's going to, going to teach you how to talk but lean into your baptism and that's mm. that's perhaps uh it's it's that moment of intimacy and knowledge that like something has been said about me that cannot be undone mm. you know even you know can a mother forget her child that's what the prophet isaiah says and we know that every once in a while it's rare a mother actually does forget her child. She disowns her child, right? Heartbreaking. But it's so rare that the prophet Isaiah basically says, this is like, as sure as a mother doesn't forget her child, so God will not forget you. Mm, yeah. And the implication is there is that we are God's children. And why would we, why would we not want to enter into the water for that to be said publicly to us as an individual? God says it to you. I want to hear God say that to me all the time. And I know I can keep hearing God say that to me now because he said it to me at baptism. Mm. Yeah, that's good. People can dispute whether, whether I'm his child until I'm baptized. After I'm baptized, don't dispute it anymore. Even mm. when I sin, God still calls me his beloved child. That's good, brother. No, I love that. And yeah, I think it brings a, a whole deeper meaning of not even something we're offering to God, but really what God is offering us in water baptism, which I think is yeah. significantly more powerful <laughs> than anything we can offer to God. That's good, man. That's so good. So yep. with that in mind, obviously, I'm sure this is going to spark interest in a lot of the students that are listening into water baptism. They're going to say, yeah, I want God to say that about me, right? I want to belong to the family. Yeah. So what is maybe... Is there anything that you would recommend that they understand before being baptized? Like, I know a lot of times churches have kind of, you know, a weekly course they go through or whatever. But if you could give someone some advice of this is what you need to know in order to make that informed decision, uh, what would you want them to know? 
Yeah. So I don't know what sort of questions your students might be asking about it. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious to hear some of them. I know that in my pastoral experience, there have been a lot of people who have this weird idea in their heads, particularly uh, teenagers and young adults, that once I get baptized, then I need to, I have to be at a place where I can stop sinning. Or I need to at least be in a place where I will start sinning less than I than I currently do. And I want to tell people, uh, it doesn't matter how much you sin. Just get baptized. Mm-hmm. The whole of the Christian, I mean, it's called the baptism of repentance for a reason, right? That God does not ask us to be righteous to be called his people. He asks us to be repentant. That's it. Mm, that's good course there is there is fake and genuine repentance of course but like if you have a heart of contrition and you receive the love of god in your contrition just be baptized and receive more of the love of god because what's going to change you is not yourself not your own strength not your own ability what's going to change you is the love of god and the love of god is the holy spirit poured into your hearts And why would you not want to take this one moment where God has promised to pour out the Holy Spirit on you? There's other experiences of the Holy Spirit. You can still get more gifts later on. You can still bear more fruit. You can still speak in tongues afterwards, right? You can still pray and prophesy. But in this moment, this is a guarantee for you. And if your pastor or your church leader or your your chaplain or whoever says you need to get baptized, don't doubt what they're saying to you say yes if they think i should be baptized then i should be and i should i should just embrace that god loves me um so don't hesitate um uh there are uh you know one of the one of the problems i have the other pastoral problems that i have had is that um sometimes people view baptism who are not so serious as a fun spiritual activity to engage in that makes them feel good and then they you know walk away right mm. Yeah. And so one of the things, uh, so it is, it is very serious. And uh, the last thing you want to do is be on Noah's boat, passing through the water. And as soon as you see dry land, you say, see you, God, I'm out of here. You know, <laughs> um, the last thing you want to do when you're the, when you're the Israelites passing through the Red Sea is to do exactly what they did, which is to start complaining and, and, and murmuring against God. So like it entails a whole life after it. And the church, it's a church's job to help you live that life. So, of course, we want to prepare you so you understand what's happening to you. We want to tell you that God's going to tell you you're his beloved child when you get baptized. But then we want to disciple you afterwards. And I've had some people who think it's fun and an a interesting spiritual experience to get baptized. And then they get baptized, and then they never come back to church again. And so what I've done is actually we introduce baptismal sponsors, which are people who, who go through the baptism class with people before they're going to get baptized. And then, uh, and then after uh, after they're baptized, they keep that sponsor, and that sponsor is responsible to then keep disp- discipling them and make sure they come back to church, um, because uh, yeah, it's it's important. And you're now my brother or sister in Christ. And you know, I have a I have a sister that I dearly love. I only have one sibling, but if if she started going off and doing something that was self destructive. I would do everything in my power to bring her back to the family, right? And uh, and the same goes for the church. If your baptized brother or sister is going off and doing something, you say, no, come back. You're part of the family. You're baptized like me. 
don't do that. So uh, don't hesitate and 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 continue on in the discipleship process. Here are a few passages of scripture. You can write these down if you're listening. That you should go read if you're still thinking about baptism. Psalm 18. Just read the whole thing, but definitely the first half is really good. It says, "He reached down on high and he drew me out of many waters." It talks about being uh, bound with the cords of death. That's what we're like before we we encounter God. And the way it speaks about God rescuing us is that he he draws us out of many waters. So when you get baptized, you can think this is the moment God is drawing mm. me out of many waters and death is releasing its grip on me because I am now God's beloved child. Read Romans chapter six, where Paul talks about baptism being death and resurrection. Um, read first Corinthians 10, which talks about uh, uh, baptism being the passing through the Red Sea and read first Peter three, which talks about Noah's Ark being uh, a baptism as well. Um, start with those passages. And then, of course, read Jesus's baptism, too, and meditate on that. Yeah. They're all wonderful passages. And let God do the work in your heart. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and say, this is what I want for you. And then, and then after you've been baptized, read it again and say, this is what God has given to me. He's given me all of this mm. just by getting in the water. That's all I had to do. you know. And don't say getting into some water is absurd because Naaman's Remember Naaman in the Old Testament? You know the story? He came to the prophet of, uh, of Israel and he said, I have leprosy. I need to be healed. And he said, go dip yourself in the Jordan River. And he said, ah, Jordan River, it's dirty. I don't want to get in the water. But all he had to do was humble himself and he did. And the leprosy was gone. Yeah. It's not absurd to go dip yourself in the water. It may look like that to the human eye, but with spiritual vision, you're coming out of death and going into life. Yeah, that's great, man. That's so good. And I think even what I'm hearing you say too, and the seriousness of it, this is your moment of adoption into the family. And just like if you were contemplating adopting a child or joining a family, it's not just something you do flippantly, right? It is a serious moment, but it's a joyous moment. You're beginning, you belong now to people. No, yeah. that's great, man. Yeah. And so understand. But just keep in mind too that a lot of times people adopt children that have already been living with them for a while. It's here in the States. Mm. A lot of times the child has to live with you for a little while and you think of them, you consider them, you call them your child, even though you don't have the official document. So I'm not saying that you don't belong until you're baptized, but I'm yeah. saying you can't say that you actually belong until you're baptized. So just get baptized. Yeah. There's water everywhere. Yeah. I'll you can <laughs> even spit on someone if they're if you're out in the desert. <laughs> Amen, bro. I love it. Um, so one of the questions I've experienced, I put this on here, not because a student has asked me this, but a while ago when I lived in Botswana, the first time I was involved in a prison ministry. And one of the questions that came up as we were sitting around, cause this was a group of people from various church backgrounds, Catholic, Lutheran, um, you name it. And one of the questions they had was, is there a right way to be baptized? So some basically had been dunked once, like how we would traditionally do it. Others were dunked three times or, you know, infant baptisms, another question, especially when you're talking about Catholicism or, you know, being held under the water for, you know, till you're near death or whatever. So my question to you is for maybe those who are wondering, does it matter what the water baptism looks like if it's in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, Infant baptism is a dangerous topic. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, the Assemblies of God doesn't baptize infants. We expect the child to be able to pray. 
in order to be able to be baptized, which is still very young, you know? Yeah. Um, and we, we have, we've, because we don't see this pattern laid out in scripture, we've introduced theological ideas like an age of innocence, which means that it doesn't matter if they die, they were in Christ because they were innocent. They couldn't make a decision for themselves. Um, having said that, you know, Paul in Colossians, um, in the letter to the Colossians, he does compare baptism to circumcision. And circumcision happened on on the on the eighth day that that little boys were were after they were born, and so um, am I going to go around saying that everybody who was baptized as an infant is not a Christian? I'm not going to say that because I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, preclude that possibility. However, um, if you come to my church, we generally invite people who have been uh, baptized as infants to to be rebaptized. Um, uh, and that's in keeping with our church doctrine. Um, I don't think that there's any prescription about, uh, about getting, uh, about how you're dunked. Um, <laughs> you know, some churches dunk three times, other churches just dunk one time. Um, uh, the, what matters is, is that you're in the water and that, uh, and that you say the words, right? Because if you don't say the words, then you're not uh, doing anything but getting wet, right? Mm. It's it has to be uh, words are said, and you have to do the action, right? So if you come to the altar when you're getting married and you don't say anything, <laughs> yeah. no one can say that you're married, right? Yeah, you can't say that you're married at that point. But if you say, if you say without an official ceremony in the privacy of of your home. Uh, I promise to to uh, be with you for the rest of my life before God. Well, no one's going to say that you're married either. Yeah, you need to come to the church and do it publicly. So there's there's ways of doing things so that it is real and official and proper. And the only thing I will say is is that you need to be baptized in the Trinity. And there's one name. This is in Matthew 28. Okay, Jesus says, "Go therefore and baptize." In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Name is singular, but there's three persons you're baptized into. In the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a really easy phrase to say, but let's just make sure that we're following the words set forth in the scripture. Don't say in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and mm. in the name of the Holy Spirit. Because then you're baptizing in three names, and technically you're saying that there's three different gods. There's only one God. Yeah. Be very clear about that. And his name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So uh, those are those are the guidelines. You know, some people uh, are, are very serious that you have to be dunked in water. Um, uh, you have to be completely submerged, right? And while that's what I do as a general practice when I baptize people, I don't think that you can defend that with 100% certainty in the Bible. Because when it says Jesus came up out of the water, we don't know if that means that he was under the water and then he came up out of the water. So that his head was above the water, or if it means that he was in the water, but was never submerged into it. And he came up out of the water, which means he went up the bank of the river. You know, we don't know which one that, which one it is. It could be either one, but as a general rule, I always dunk people because again, this is what the sums of God has decided will be our doctrine based on the best understanding of scripture that we have. The exception that I make is for people who are disabled or people who are in the hospital and make a confession and want to be baptized. So there was a there was a disabled uh, woman in my church, 
who wasn't there, uh, you know, she had a, a severe learning disability, but she knew how to, how to say Jesus, you know, with her hands and say, I love Jesus. Mm. And, and I said to her parents one day, I was like, has she ever been baptized? And they said, we didn't know she could be baptized. And I said, she's human. Of course she can be baptized. <laughs> Any human being can be baptized. You can't baptize monkeys. You can't baptize dogs. <laughs> you can't baptize birds, but you can baptize any human being. And the only requirement for being human being is that you're born of a woman, which is what every human being is. So, um, so I, but, but she was so uh, uh, disabled that trying to push her head underwater, she would have been very, uh, she, she wouldn't understand what was going on. Yeah. Well, in that instance, out of an abundance of love, and care for this particular individual, but still wanted to say that we can baptize her, I sprinkled her with water. And the same thing I would do for someone who, say someone is old and dying of cancer and they can't, we can't get them anywhere where we can baptize them because they're in the hospital and they have, you know, IVs coming out of them and all this kind of stuff. I would sprinkle someone in the bed like that as well to say, no, God does not, God is not going to despise you or your baptism mm. just because you didn't get fully submerged. Yeah, that's great, man. No, I love that. And yeah, no, this has been honestly really, really powerful. And I think it, even for me, it just creates another level of reverence and excitement for all the baptisms that are going to come from this conversation and the, and the many, many more, um, just as the family grows, man. Uh, I don't know if there's any final thoughts you'd like to share on baptism, something maybe you feel like you didn't get an opportunity to say and you would like to anywhere across the spectrum of what we've talked about or something totally out of left field from what we've been talking about. But yeah, I'll hand it over to you, bro. Yeah, I think I think the only last thing that, that people have, always, that have, have asked me is they say something along the lines of, well, what if I confess my sins, but then, you know, uh, I die away, I die suddenly. Um, am I not a Christian until I was baptized? And of course, the answer is no, because um, the de- just the desire to be baptized, your your death becomes your baptism in that in that moment. Mm. Um, that uh, uh, God uh, permitted your life to end before you could get to the water, but your desire to follow God was by no means disregarded by Him. And just because you couldn't get baptized doesn't mean that now your salvation is now in question. And the example I always give in this respect is the thief on the cross. That um, in the last moment of his of his life, when his breath was leaving his lungs, he was bleeding out on the cross next to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't have a chance to be baptized. But his death was his baptism. And the reason we can say that death can be a baptism is because that's how Jesus referred to his own death. When he says to his disciples, can you be baptized with the baptism with which I am going to be baptized? And he was referring to his death. And of course, the disciples say, yeah, of course, we'll take your baptism. And then they all ran away when he was about to be killed. But that thief on the cross, he gave his life to Jesus in that moment. And Jesus guaranteed him paradise by saying uh, that he would be with him. And in that respect, we still see even these unique moments through the understanding of baptism, because that's how Jesus talked about everything. And that's how the, the early church understood everything. That's great, man. No, 
really appreciate you coming on the pod to share. I didn't do this with our last guest, but since you have a special connection to the blessed continent, I'm putting you on the spot here, so I apologize. Yeah. Do you have a, a you can pull it from memory pretty quick, favorite story of your time living in Africa or one of your favorites? Mm. Oh, boy. Uh, that's uh, That's hard to say. It's a loaded one, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I had, I did have a lot of fun uh, as a as a young man uh, growing up. Um, we were rural, so um, we had some electricity, not all the time. We lived in another town where we had no electricity, um, and then we lived in a city as well. But uh, uh, you know, my favorite memories were uh, hunting and gathering as a kid. Um, uh, some people, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat it now to be clear, but when I was a kid, <laughs> me and my neighborhood friends, we would shoot lizards with our slingshots and then we would fry them up with some, uh, with some magic cube over our charcoal yeah. fire and we'd eat them. And, uh, and I loved it. And, and then the other thing that, uh, I used to trap, um, were, uh, pack rats and, uh, you know, again, I was out rural, right? I was I was in the bush. So it's not like these rats were running through sewers or anything like that. I mean, they were living out in the savanna. They ate peanuts and roots and all this kind of stuff. It was almost like eating a rabbit. But uh, there was a time in my childhood where every night I was out there setting traps for for these <laughs> for these large rats. I mean, they were big, big rats like this long. That's without Yo. a tail. So with the tail, they were really long like this. And uh, many mornings I'd go out there and see that I had caught one and then I'd call my neighborhood friends over and we'd have a feast that afternoon, a special snack. Um, <laughs> and we'd, we'd cook it up with, uh, with some tomatoes and onions and magic cube again over our charcoal fire. And so uh, those are always my favorite memories. And while we were cooking, we'd make tea and drink tea together and we'd play cards and, and eat peanuts. And so those, those moment memories are just... Uh, yeah, really profound and, and and wonderful. That's awesome. The fine cuisine that you were eating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I still cook to this day. I cook more than my wife does because I enjoy it so much. Okay. And it all began uh, with... Uh, lizards and with, rats. With shooting, <laughs> with shooting lizards and, and frying them up on charcoal with uh, uh, magic cube. <laughs> that's awesome, bro. Well, hey, man, I know yeah. everyone who listens to this episode is really going to appreciate it. And we'll definitely, if we can find time, have you on the pod for something else, maybe the Trinity. That's a tough one, but I think you're the guy that could, yeah. could help us get some better understanding, some better clarity. Um, but yeah. I, I really appreciate it, brother. And uh, I know the kingdom movement fam does too. Yeah. Well, I'm here to serve. God bless everyone listening. I pray that uh, God, God's face shines upon you and blesses you and uses you for his kingdom uh, because it's a beautiful kingdom. It's a wonderful kingdom and God loves us and we want to share that love with everyone else. So, uh, so be empowered. Yeah. Amen, man. Well, kingdom movement fam, I hope you guys appreciated this episode. We will catch you next week and uh, yeah. And make sure if you are not a part of a D group and you're listening and you're interested, we would love to have you join us on campus. Uh, to, to practice this life on the way of Jesus, to, to be centered around his word. And if you want to get water baptized from here in this episode, please, you know, reach out to Vanessa or I or Paulu. 
we would love to make that happen for you guys. But we'll catch you next week. All right. Bye, guys. Hey, guys. This is Jake. If you are currently a university student on a campus in Botswana, we want to extend an invitation to you to get plugged into a discipleship group. So if you're interested, if that's something you want to do, if you want to begin to be a part of this family we call Kingdom Movement, we would encourage you to go into this episode's bio. There should be a link to our Instagram page. You can send us a message, and we will make sure to connect you at a time and a place that works best for you and your schedule for school. But we don't want you to miss this opportunity to get plugged in and a part of what God is doing on the university campuses here because we believe that you're a vital piece to what God wants to do to bring his kingdom, his wholeness, and his healing to the nation of Botswana and to the university specifically. So reach out to us today, guys, if that's something you're interested in. All right, thanks.